look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, with the NFL moving to Indianapolis for the weekend, for the NFL scouting combine, I'll have on two of the very best at what they do. And that's Mike Mayock of NFL Network. You'll listen to him all weekend on NFL Network dissecting this year's draft crop and NFL draft analyst for ESPN, Todd McShay. Before we get started, I do want to explain to you what I think has happened over the course of the years uh, involving the draft and involving the NFL scouting combine. You know, it's funny. um, When I started covering the NFL in 1984, Um, the NFL scouting combine was basically in its infancy um, and no one really cared about it. No media went to the scouting combine Uh, and really media covering the scouting combine didn't start basically until the late nineties in Indianapolis. And I will never forget in the year 2000 uh, working for sports illustrated and going to the scouting combine in Indianapolis Uh, There was very little security at the Combine because there were only about 15 or 20 media people who went to the Scouting Combine. And I remember sitting in in the restaurant in the lobby of the Holiday Inn Crown Plaza in Indianapolis with Plexico Burris for probably 90 minutes. He was in, he wasn't in any hurry to go anywhere. Uh, And, and now every minute, is taken into account for all of these guys at the scouting combine. You know, whereas in the year 2000, uh, the NFL had, uh, you know, 15 or 20 people uh, from the news media at the combine. This year, there will be over 1,200 media credentials issued to cover the combine just 18 years later. So in less than a generation, it's increased whatever that is, a jillion fold. <laughs> but, and I think what has happened over the years is that with the NFL becoming more and more popular and with websites, newspapers, magazines, um, and, and television shows and team websites, which has become a huge part of this, what's happened is that they have understood and they've gotten the message that that basically people are going to read about the NFL year-round. It isn't just the Cleveland Browns fans who absolutely uh, can't get enough of draft coverage. It happens almost in every fan base in the United States. And I think in some ways it sets up false expectations uh, for these players when they come in because – you know, it, it, there's nothing that's good enough if you're a first-round draft pick. You know, you better be a Pro Bowl guy right away or else you're going to be a huge crushing disappointment. And so 
I think the unrealistic expectations uh, start right around this weekend with the with the combine. But I also think that there's something else that has happened uh, it, it, to fan bases around the country when they look at the draft, and that is they want to know going into free agency on March 14th. They want to know, well, hey, if we need a wide receiver, this year's wide receiver crop is weak, which it is, by the way, in 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 the draft. So they'll they'll get that pounded home to them this weekend. So in other words, now everybody's going to be looking at, okay, we got to go get Jarvis Landry or we've got to go get whoever. And I think that is where so many people and so many fan bases use this as sort of a homework assignment. Uh, they're going to understand who the good players are in free agency, and if we don't get, say, a wide receiver in free agency, boy, we're going to be in trouble because there aren't very many good ones in the draft. So it, it's it's one thing, but but I, I'll leave you with this. Last year, you know, I was listening. I was at the Combine for a couple of days last year, and I was listening to, to and I forget which receiver it was, but one of the receivers said that, during the uh, combine the previous year, he and all his friends from college and some of his teammates from college, they would take off complete days and just sit there and watch everything involving the combine on TV, on NFL Network. Because And so he, this this player, and I don't remember who it was, said that it, one of his goals has been to get invited to the scouting combine because he's been watching it for so many years. And look, it's not that I don't love my job, but I'm telling you that after about an hour of watching the Combine, unless I'm getting some real good information from Mike Mayock, 140 is like another. And I I just can't watch it. Now, I do like watching the quarterbacks throw because in many cases I haven't really seen much from these quarterbacks uh, because I don't watch a lot of college football in the fall. So I am really, really interested in watching you know, Baker Mayfield and how he compares, let's say, to Lamar Jackson and Sam Darnold. I think that's going to be a really, really interesting part of, of this combine this week. But anyway, I know you're you're going to be interested in the combine. Some of you will think, like me, uh, man, you know, enough combine coverage. We can only watch it for eight hours at a time, uh, and I can't do that. But uh, it, it is the part of the NFL calendar that has really probably in the last 8, 10, 12 years really has gone crazy and really caught fire around the United States. So hopefully the conversations that I have with Mike Mayock and Todd McShay uh, help your education process going into the Combine, and I hope you have a good weekend watching. And now my conversation with Mike Mayock of NFL Network. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. Privileged to be joined right now by Mike Mayock of NFL Network, the longtime uh, draft analyst and the guy who every year uh, I like to talk to before the scouting combine because, uh, not to blow smoke, but Mike uh, is an encyclopedia of these guys. And the other thing I really like about Mike is that he admits when he has a uh, when he's wrong in his judgment about players. He and I have had conversations about Johnny Manziel and and other guys over the years. But um, anyway, I'm I'm pleased uh, you could join me, Mike. Thank you. Always enjoy it, Peter. Thanks, um, 
Mike, I'll start off the way I kind of start off when I when we talk every single year. And that is I want to know when you're looking at this draft from a thousand feet. Give me the overview of this draft when when you say, well, you know, I love this draft, don't love this draft, like it here, don't like it there. Give me your little Cliff's Notes version of what you think of the 2018 draft. Yeah, uh, it's kind of interesting because the first thing that hits me, Peter, are the running backs. And a year ago, we talked about maybe the best running back class in recent history, and that turned out to be the case. If you look at the first six guys picked a year ago, Peter, at running back, it was Fournette McCaffrey in the first, Cook and Mixon in the second, and Kamara and Hunt in the third. I mean, that's the first six guys off the board, and aside from two injuries, the production was unbelievable, as is the, the talent. And then you want to kind of learn lessons from that. And I look at this draft class, and I think the running back class is worthy of a conversation. Uh, it might not be quite as deep as last year, but the top end is sexy. I mean, Barkley, Geis, Ronald Jones, Sony Michelle. I think we can have a conversation about how those guys are going to impact and impact quickly next year. That, so that's kind of the first thing that comes right off the top of my head. Uh, the quarterback thing every year becomes a huge conversation. And uh, there's problem, There's an average of five quarterbacks, Peter, that go in the first three rounds over the last five years. I think we're going to have seven or eight instead of five. Uh, and I think we're going to get four or five in the first round. And again, last year, the quarterbacks came off the board so much more quickly than I expected. And it just continues to reinforce a lesson that I apparently don't learn, which is, you know, the quarterbacks are coming early, like it or not. Um, and I don't think the wide receiver class is that deep or that sexy at the top. And, and I think we need to learn some lessons about past first-round picks over the last four or five years at the wideout position. Um, the offensive line class is better than last year, but last year was historically bad. And I think the depth of this class, the quality of the overall class, is probably the defensive tackles, the off-the-ball linebackers. And I know that's not sexy, defensive tackles and off-the-ball linebackers, but uh, when you look at those two classes along with the running backs, I think they're the best group. Uh, and the quarterbacks are really intriguing. So that's probably more than you wanted, but that's kind of how I'm looking at it this year. Yeah, I made the point in my column last week that uh, I totally understand why everybody is in love with Saquon Barkley. Uh, he seems to be, seems to be, you know, as good a football player entering the NFL as Adrian Peterson was. And how can you not want to take somebody like that very high? But with the fact that, uh, you know, probably three of the top 10 running backs in the NFL right now, you might say it's even better than that, but but three of the top 10 running backs in the NFL right now are uh, Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara, uh, and David Johnson, coming back from injury in Arizona, but still very good. Their average draft position when they got picked in the draft is 80. And my question is about those who would say, 
Saquon to the Giants at two. Saquon somewhere in the top five. Not that I don't think he's worthy of that, but I just wonder with all of the good running backs, and you mentioned, you know, Geis and Jones and 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 all these guys who were clearly going to be, say, second or third round picks. I mean, if your general manager, Mike Mayock, don't you say, guys, look, the the NFL draft boards have been littered with Pro Bowl running back after Pro Bowl running back getting taken on day two and even day three. Here, if you want my philosophy, here it is. If you believe a running back is worthy of a top 10 pick, take them and commit to them. And there have only been four of them in the last five years, Ornette, Elliott, Gurley, and McCaffrey. And I would make the argument that all four of those teams committed to those players, committed a certain number of touches per game, committed to their style of play, and all four teams are better because of it. So if you believe a guy's a top 10 pick, draft him, commit to him, and you're going to be a better football team. Now, after that, I'm a little bit more in line with you, okay? I still believe there's great talent in the second, third, fourth, and sometimes even fifth rounds. And the way the league is going, Peter, it's really interesting because the wideout position is struggling catch the football in their first year or two after I'm talking about first round picks, but the rookie running backs. I mean, if you look at, I think it's four of the top eight rookie reception leaders a year ago were running backs. Kamara and McCaffrey, I think were one and two with like 80 and 81 or whatever, but Tariq Cohen, Kareem Hunt, those four running backs, were amongst the top eight in total reception. So you can make an immediate impact, and I think this is part of what you're getting at, Peter. If you can catch the ball out of the running back position, screen passes, flare screens, all the stuff, the check downs, all the stuff NFL teams are doing now, you can make a much more immediate impact and help your team more quickly as a running back than a bunch of these wideouts that have, outside of the class of 2014, have done very little. So... I segment it that way. If it's a top 10 pick, commit to them. But beyond that, man, you can get a lot of quality down in the second, third, and fourth round at the running back position, especially if they can catch the football. This is the MMQB Podcast. It's that time again, that familiar crossroads of choosing between basketball and hockey. You can't choose. They're both on. Why are they both on? Relax. We have a solution. Buffalo Wild Wings. Rather than fill your living room with TVs, come into B-dubs. We've got hockey and basketball on, each playing on dozens of screens. You don't have to choose. You can watch them all. And to complete the trifecta, we can ensure you have access to all the sports foods you crave. From our selection of America's favorite wings in any of our 21 signature sauces and seasonings, to shareable favorites like cheddar cheese curds and fried pickles, You'll have everything you've ever wanted. I mean, like, anything you've ever wanted. You are not going to want anything more in life than B-dubs fried pickles. Believe me, I've had them, and they're better than filet mignon. But wait, we also have a variety of beers to quench your thirst. All the basketball, all the hockey, all the food, all the beer you want. 
Buffalo Wild Wings, Wings, Beer, Sports. Please drink responsibly. Now back to my conversation with Mike Mayock. Uh, visiting with Mike Mayock, uh, who's preparing for uh, his close-up at the Scouting Combine. Mike, before we get any further in this, I think one of the coolest things that has happened to you over the years is that for about five days in the course of the year, uh, you have to speak nonstop for, I don't know, eight or ten hours. You just have to talk. And and a few years ago, you had trouble. You lost your voice at one point. So I really, I'm really curious. How do you avoid losing your voice talking day after day without stopping? Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> it's such a pleasant memory for you. <laughs> I mean, like like my worst day ever in broadcasting, and I really appreciate you bringing that up. Um, <laughs> The reality is funny because I cut my tongue yesterday and I'm struggling talking to you right now. Um, but the reality is I don't really do a whole lot differently than I, I've ever done. And it seems like the more, the closer we get to the draft, the more I have to talk. And I just, you kind of, it's like a coach at the beginning of training camp. You know, they, they lose their voice early and by the time they're in the middle of camp, they're fine. And that's kind of how I feel about the draft. And the lesson I had to learn is that when it's really loud, and back in New York City, you know, when we were doing the draft in that small theater, it got incredibly loud, and I would tend to yell to hear myself in my ears, earphones. And that you don't need to do it. The microphone does the work for you. So I've kind of learned to modulate my voice, but you know me, and sometimes I get excited, so I have to watch that. It seems to me, though, that, and this is the thing, this is one of the reasons why I really kind of like your draft coverage, okay? And I'm, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you before, but the more of this you can do, the better, okay? So at some point during this long weekend, okay, on uh, NFL Network, where you guys are, you know, spend hours and hours at the Combine, and sometimes in this sometime in this long weekend, you are going to take eight minutes and download everything you think about the New York Giants or the Denver Broncos or the Oakland Raiders. And for those eight minutes, if you're a fan of that team, you can't hear anything more authoritative or interesting or informative than what you tell people. And that's one of the things I really enjoy because a lot of times, you know, I, a lot of times I'll either be sitting in the press room at the combine or maybe I'll be home, uh, you know, because I don't stay for the whole thing and I'll be home and right. I'll have the TV on in my office and I'll always tape, I'll always DVR the whole combine because I say, well, at some point he's going to talk about every team. And I just like kind of fast forwarding through the forties, which I, I really don't right. care about, but so that, so that I can hear exactly what you, what you think about every team. And I think that's kind of interesting. That must require almost as much homework as uh, the stuff you're doing on Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. I don't know, Peter, I, I don't do any team needs analysis until after the majority of free agency is over with. So the way I look at team needs today is that 
on March 14th, when free agency starts, it could change for half the league. So why even start? Why waste time now when I got 336 players? I have to know at the combine. Right. However, I think what helps me, Peter, is just it's a year-long commitment, not just the draft, but I do the games on Westwood One Radio all fall. Um, I try to stay current with the teams. I, I carry around a stupid notebook with all 32 teams cross-indexed by draft position with statistics, former coaches, all the draft picks, rosters, you know, and I just carry that everywhere I go. And, and try to immerse myself in it so you know there hopefully i have some good information for you regardless of the time of year if i were to ask you right now the 32 picks in the first round of this draft and i were to say all right mike mayock you're going to vegas tomorrow and you're putting a dollar on uh the picks that you feel confident in how many guys, how many, how many, if, if, if you were to do my most hated thing in all of my job, which is the mock draft, <laughs> if you were to do a mock draft today, here we are still like whatever, nine weeks before the draft, right. how confident would you, how many picks would you feel actually confident in making? Let me put it to you this way, Peter. And I think you and I ought to do this this year. Okay, because you and I always panic at the end of right before the draft. <laughs> and we have a conversation. You're like, "Oh, Mike, I think I'm good here," but and then I have to panic because I do my one mock draft. Here's here's what I think we ought to do. I think around April first, you and I ought to do our own private mock drafts and put them in a file or or exchange okay. them with each other. All right. Okay, let's exchange them with each other around April first, and then we'll do our public mock drafts right before the draft like we always do yeah i'm willing to bet you that the draft we do on april 1st is better than the one we do later that's really really interesting i love that thought you know what hey mike let's do that and let's uh reveal then we're gonna reveal them no 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 here's what you know we're gonna we could do it let's do it you know after the draft and we'll and we'll and we'll do this but what i think we should do is you take a charity, I take a charity, and we'll agree on whatever the donation would be, but you're going to beat me anyway, so I'm going to donate X to your charity if you win, which you will, uh, and then, but if I win, you donate X to my charity. And I'm guessing you're going to win because I get way too involved in it, but I'd be happy to. I think. Good. All right. Yeah. All right. I'll. We'll definitely do that on April first. Um, so, uh, in the remaining time we have, you know, I, I'm, I'm really curious. I want to ask you about a couple of things that, that I, both I've heard and just opinions that you might have. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just uh, every year we all get sort of intoxicated with the quarterbacks. And obviously this year is going to be the same thing. But every year you you seem to have a pretty good and pretty strong opinion about the quarterback, maybe and or quarterbacks who you like the best. So I've seen your ratings. I won't give it away. But what quarterback do you like best and why? A lot of evaluation is eliminating people for different reasons. And I've learned that from GMs over the years. Um, And when I look at the top quarterbacks in the draft, me personally, and again, 
last year at this time, Deshaun Kaiser was my number one quarterback. And when when my last top five list came out, I think he was either fourth or fifth. Okay, so there's still a lot of work to go. And when I'm ready to pound the table, I'm not afraid to pound the table. Like Carson Wentz, I pounded the table early and often because I felt so strongly about the kid. Last year, my number one quarterback was Deshaun Watson. But I only had him number 20 on my top 100 list. And that kid was just phenomenal. So here's how I'm going to rank the quarterbacks for you. I'm going to tell you that um, I think Lamar Jackson is the most electrifying talent in this draft. If I was a GM, I'm not sure I'd take him. But I'm going to tell you right now, he's going to make plays in the NFL. And every week, there's going to be one person in this country more petrified than anybody else. And that's going to be the defensive coordinator of whatever team he's playing. So you got to think outside the box, and you got to commit yourself offensively to a different philosophy, but the kid's going to make plays. Now, I think the quarterback right now I'm most committed to, because I'm more of a traditional drop-back conventional guy, is, is Sam Darnold from USC. And he's a prototypical drop-back quarterback. He's got plus arm strength. He can make plays inside the pocket, which is important but he can also extend plays in today's NFL, which is critical. And when he scrambles, he scrambles with his eyes up, looking to make throws down the field to beat you. The issue with him, and trust me, they all have issues, is turnovers. And that's a big deal. Both fumbles in the pocket and interceptions in the red zone. They're kind of the two knocks on him. And I'm in the midst right now of trying to do a study on why that is the case and whether or not it will continue at the next level. And, you know, I looked at Matt Ryan one year coming out of Boston College throwing a bunch of picks. I looked at Jameis Winston coming out of Florida State with a bunch of picks, and I came out of that with two different conclusions after I watched every interception and every bad throw they made. So I'm anxious to do the same with Darnold. Do you have the same sort of questions that so many uh, people around the NFL do in wondering long-term about desire and about uh, love of the game of Josh Rosen? I haven't met the kid yet, so I don't want to paint any kind of picture. Right. Other than here's my concern off watching probably six games of tape so far. My concern is that from a durability perspective, he had a shoulder in 16, two concussions in 17. He's got a slight frame and an inability to protect himself in the pocket. He can't escape. I'm surprised at how little he's able to escape out of the pocket. So when you combine those two things, I'm worried about the durability. The caveat to that, he's the best natural thrower in this draft and probably in any draft since Sam Bradford. What about the arm of Josh Allen? Do you love that like everybody else does? Well, yeah, you have to, but I always tell people, and I do, I love the arm. He play, he's playing in the same collegiate system that Carson Wentz did because it's the same head coach. Um, the arm is ridiculous, and, and I try to tell people that the best pro day I ever saw because of arm strength was Jamarcus Russell. And we all know the Jamarcus Russell story. So it's it's not necessarily a big arm that wins in the NFL. Uh, but I, I, the thing that is the issue with him is the 56% completion percentage and trying to decide whether or not that can be improved because it's very rare that a kid comes out of college and improves 
his accuracy in the NFL. Knowing John Dorsey the way you do, what do you think about this NFL scout who, veteran, veteran NFL scout who told me a month ago that I swear to you, John Dorsey's picking Josh Allen? I, I mean, all you, what you have to do is look at his history. What did he do last year at Kansas City? He traded up to number 10 for the biggest armed quarterback in the draft, Patrick Mahomes. He's in Cleveland. Tough weather, November, December, January. To me, it's a great match. And Doris is going to have to do his homework and, and get to know the kid, which he will. Um, it sounds to me from the, the people that know this kid, they really like him. He's, he's a smart kid and will work hard. So I think it's a great fit both for John Dorsey and for Cleo. Finishing up with Mike Mayock. Mike, I want to ask you, because every year you have sort of a good global perspective on the depth of the draft, and I wonder, um, sometimes people will say, you know, uh, I really like this draft in the second and third rounds, or I really like this draft between, say, 50 and 100. Um, where do you really like this draft? If you were, uh, I mean, I, I happen to think that the Patriots are sitting in a very, very interesting spot at uh, basically 31 uh, and I think 40 and then 63 and 90 whatever. I mean, they, but they, right. they're in a very, very interesting spot in this draft, in my opinion, because... You know, I've heard a lot of people say, hey, you know, unless you get Chubb or Barkley or, 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 you know, or maybe the guard from Notre Dame right at the top, you know, maybe the seventh pick is not that much different from the 23rd pick. But I want to know your view on the old, where the strength of this draft is. It's interesting because I, I disagree with one of the things you just said. Um, most of the recent drafts, I've been very wary of the top 10 picks. I almost felt like you were better off down later than in the top 10. And I'm taking quarterbacks out of the equation a little bit because they're the wild cards. But I think there's a group of guys at the top end this year that are outstanding football players and clean off the field. Whether you're talking about Barkley, uh, Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame, Vita Vea, Bradley Chubb, I mean – Tremaine Edmonds is, is a super freak from Virginia Tech that's still 19 years old that we're going to be talking a lot about over the next couple of months. I mean, he's 19 years old, Peter. He's 6'5", 250. Um, Minka Fitzpatrick, Derwin James, Denzel, Denzel Ward. Uh, there, there's, I, I believe, more quality at the top end than there has been recently. Uh, then beyond that, I'm always a big fan of the second and third rounds, and I think this year – is no different. I, I think whether you're talking about somewhere, you know, 25 to 30 through about 55 or 60, I, I think that's where the really good drafting teams make a lot of hay in that range. Would you be surprised if on day two of the draft, Troy Vincent steps to the microphone and says, with the 63rd pick in the 2018 NFL draft, the New England Patriots select Kyle Lawletta? quarterback richmond yes i would oh you would be surprised tell me why yeah. uh 
I loved everything. I, I really liked what I saw from the kid at the Senior Bowl. I've watched a couple of his game tapes. Um, and, again, I'm probably more conservative with quarterback rankings than most people, but I don't see him as a at this point as a late second-round quarterback. You don't see him as Garoppolo Jr.? Uh, I saw Garoppolo, believe it or not, as Kirk Cousins. That was my, my wow. Garoppolo when wow. he was coming out. Yeah. Um, and I think Garoppolo had a better arm. I think he had a quicker release. Um, I think he had a higher upside. I think Lalletta does everything pretty well. Yeah. Interesting. I, I'm, I, you know, I don't know why, but I'm, I'm kind of mesmerized with uh, the heir to Tom Brady. I guess we all are, you know, because I was convinced for so long it was going to be Garoppolo. Now it isn't. Do you, do you, uh, do you have a gut feeling right now of who that guy might come from, or if he's even in this draft? I, it's too early. I, yeah. I have no gut feel right now for that. I. The way I look at these teams, Peter, with quarterbacks, is I, I look at it, there's six teams with primary quarterback needs. Cleveland, the Giants, Denver, the Jets, Arizona, and Buffalo, primary. And then there's a bunch of teams with secondary, and it depends. Part of it is age of their quarterbacks, right? The Chargers, New Orleans, Pittsburgh, New England. They're all going to run into the Tom Brady conversation you just had, right? And, and beyond that, what about Jacksonville? What about Minnesota? What about Miami? Heck, what about Baltimore? I mean, yeah. so I see six primary needs, and then all these other secondary needs you can file under different conversations. All of them are really intriguing. But for me, it's too early to start assigning players to teams. Cleveland, Giants, Denver, Jets, Buffalo, and what was your last one? Arizona. Arizona, yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, hey, Mike, really, really appreciate you taking time and uh, look forward to it. W- um, tell me if you can. When does the NFL Network coverage start, uh, and when we're going to be watching you on television this weekend? Well, the, the combine itself, the events of the combine, start on Friday morning, I believe, at nine a.m. Uh, and they run through uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and through Monday afternoon. But we've got all kinds of stuff, obviously, coverage surrounding the combine before and after. Right. Hey, listen, all the best to you, Mike. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Peter. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. We all know the value of a good night's sleep. I'm out on the road all the time, so believe me, nothing makes me happier than being back home for a good night's sleep, thanks to Mattress Firm. And they're going to make your wallet happy, too. The base for my argument is simple. Your bed budget can go further when you're shopping at America's Neighborhood Mattress Store. It's like having a touchdown and getting the game ball. Mattress Firm is the head coach when it comes to mattress expertise. But know this, Mattress Firm is more than just mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed, from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. They have you literally and figuratively covered up, just like your favorite cornerback. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening as soon as you finish this show. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. 
Talk about a one-two punch. That's a knockout. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. And now my conversation with ESPN draft analyst Todd McShay. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King, joined now by veteran draft analyst Todd McShay. Um, Todd, in your years uh, with ESPN, I think you've been with ESPN now for 12 years, you've gotten a good reputation of really knowing the quarterbacks. I know you played quarterback briefly at the University of Richmond. And I want to know, I've heard so much about this quarterback class. And it seems that it's gone from maybe last July or August to people thinking that, hey, there's going to be four or five guys in this in this draft that uh, in this class that could be real problem solvers and long term franchise quarterbacks. And now it's like every quarterback has a bunch of zits. So <laughs> I, I wanted just to ask you if you can tell me overall now that you've had time to analyze it. The Todd McShay take on this year's quarterback class. I still think it's one of the stronger classes we've seen in in several years. I really do. The hard part this year was that there was so much hype coming into into this season. There was no way, let's say Sam Darnold, for example, from USC. There's no way this guy's going to live up to all of the hype coming into 2017. I mean, he loses three offensive linemen to the NFL. Both his starting wideouts, including Juju Smith-Schuster, who had a great first season for the, the Steelers, and he was expected to go undefeated and to win a national championship. So I think we had a lot of that going on. Josh Rosen, uh, you know, he, he got beat up just like Darnold did this year and, and lost a bunch of guys, and just they have not put a lot of real good talent around him at UCLA the last couple of years. And then you have Josh Allen from Wyoming, who really the only times you get to to watch him during the year nationally, if you're just a football fan, is when he's going up against a much better Iowa team, a much better Oregon team. And then the, the night game against Boise State, which is a good team on the road. And so other than that, he won every game that he started. So I, I feel like a defense lawyer all year long with those those three guys specifically. <laughs> you know, I just keep on telling people it, the tape's not nearly as bad as you think. And I just got done watching four more games of, of um, Darnold yesterday, and there are so many things that he can do that uh, most guys can't do. And you want to talk about the right makeup. I mean, this guy, just from how poised he is, confident but not cocky and arrogant, the way he carries himself, the toughness that he has on the field, how much his teammates respect him for the beating that he takes. I mean, he, if you ever have a chance to watch the Ohio State game where they, they did not look good, his offensive line couldn't protect him. And the beating that he took, knowing that he's leaving for the NFL, he didn't owe anything to anyone at that point. He could have just thrown in the towel, but he kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And so, uh, to me, with Darnold, Rosen, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield from Oklahoma, who did have a great year in a system that consistently works. Um, Lamar Jackson, who is just a fascinating player coming out of Louisville. I think the, the most dynamic player with the football in his hand in college football the last two years. And he's a quarterback. I hope everyone understands that. He's not, 
you don't draft him with the idea of right away moving him to receiver. Now, early on, it may just be packages and developing him, but Lamar Jackson, I think, with some mechanical tweaks, widening out his base, just doing some little things, I think he can improve as a passer, and you're getting a really special talent that is probably going to be a late first, early second round pick. And then even beyond that, there's a bunch of guys like Mason Rudolph from Oklahoma State and Luke Falk from Washington State, uh, my own Richmond guy from Kyle Lalletta, and even uh, this Marshall quarterback that I've been watching more and more of, Chase, uh, Chase Litton, who's 6'6", 232 pounds. So the depth of this class is outstanding, and those four quarterbacks at the top, I know they, yes, there are some zits, and, and this year was not perfect, but there is a lot to work with, and I think all four have it in them to become good starters in the NFL, if not better. Let's dive into some individual things on each one. Are you bothered mm-hmm. at all by Josh Rosen and the supposed long-term desire, love of football, that kind of stuff, those knocks that you're hearing about him? You know, I am, and I keep on talking to people in the league, and I keep waiting for someone to say, oh, it's not a big deal. And I haven't found one yet. You know, that doesn't mean that you can't overcome it. And it doesn't mean that it's as bad or glaring as, as maybe the reports are. But it's definitely a concern. I mean, and, and I think it's, it's that combined with, I think he likes the game. And I, I really do believe that he's a competitor and he wants to win. And he's very intelligent. Don't mistake any of this with intelligence. See, this guy is, he might be the, the smartest individual of all of these quarterbacks. Right. But, but he also, he has kind of an air about him, I guess, from everyone I've talked to. He can be a difficult teammate at times. He can be, he questions authority, which, again, you, there's positives and negatives too. He's not just going to take your answer at face value. He wants to know why, and he wants to, he wants to make sure that what you're telling him is, is real and it should be followed. And so that can be taken as not being coachable. And so it, you're going to have to find the right fit with him and someone who knows how to handle him and work with him. And someone, a, a team that has a really bright offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, and guys that he will respect right away. In some ways with Josh Rosen, I've been told that it comes down to the fact that in all ways you have to find out with him how important football is just because, you know, A, there's a lot of wealth in his family, Mm-hmm. Um, and B, uh, you, you wonder with someone who, uh, may not, you know, live, eat, breathe, sleep, whatever football, whether that's going to have an impact on him long-term. That's the big question. Yeah, It really is. And, and is he going to get burnt out with football in five years? Yeah, And, you know, just about every quarterback that you would categorize as elite in the NFL I mean, you know all of them, Peter. The, the, really, the similar trait with all of them is that they are workaholics and the obsession that they have with the game. I think Ben Roethlisberger, early in his career, might have been an exception to the rule, but he's developed more and more into you know, working in, in that aspect of the game. But other than that, I mean, from Breeze to the, the Mannings to Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, obviously, I mean, anyone you list, in that elite category, they're all like that. And I think you're worried if you're going to invest $25 million in this young man, guaranteed money, are you going to get 
long-term, that drive every single day that, that you need. I mean, if you're going to be great, you, you basically need that. Baker Mayfield is an interesting case. Uh, Robert Klemko of our staff spent some time with Daryl Bevel the other day. And Daryl Bevel, who obviously coached Russell Wilson uh, for the last mm-hmm. six years, uh, said that he does not think Baker Mayfield's height should be any factor whatsoever. Uh, because he says that when he watches him, he sees a guy who can move, uh, doesn't get passes batted down, and if he were writing a scouting report on him, he would say, not a big deal. Take all of what he will be examined for, including that, including the perceived cockiness and all that, and tell me whether there are sufficient red flags to scare you off of Baker Mayfield. Yeah, the height is, is not as big a concern for me as, as some other people. I, I would tend to agree with that. I think, you know, is, is it the ideal prototype? No, but there, and, and I know there, for every Drew Brees, there's 50 other guys that, that failed, but they, they weren't as talented as Drew Brees or as Baker Mayfield. And Russell Wilson has found a way to get it done as well. And I know, you know, I can hear Bill Polian right now saying he's a one in a million. He's, you know, there's one in a million. Well, Baker Mayfield has shown over time against good competition. I know you could say what you want against Big 12, but Ohio State had a good, very talented defense. And he had success for a large portion of the game against Georgia. This guy is the ultimate competitor. He has really good vision. I think he has excellent instincts for playing the position. He, like Breeze, I'm not calling him Breeze, but like Breeze and like Russell Wilson, he knows how to move inside the pocket subtly to find the passing window that he needs. And I think he's extremely accurate. You could argue, even though he had a high percentage of easier throws than Rosen did or Darnold did, you could argue that he's the most accurate of the group, which I think is the most important physical trait that you have to have at the quarterback position. Now, what you've got to sort out is the the maturity and the, the energy that he brings to the to the field. He, I've never seen a guy like this. It, it's fun to watch him in warmups. I mean, he is running around like a madman, just a, a little bit like Brett Favre, but in, in a different way just how he runs from one drill to the next. He, he just sprints, and he's always pounding all of his teammates and getting everyone going, and that's how he likes to play. It's this eternal chip on his shoulder. But, um, but with that has come some, some inability to channel that energy the right way. And then the other part is I think he's very unique in that I do honestly truly believe that he loves the game and needs the game. But I also think he loves what the game brings him and loves the spotlight and kind of that Hollywood-type atmosphere around him. So it makes him a unique prospect. You know, I'll tell you what I thought when I saw this thing happen against Kansas where he grabbed his crotch and uh, mm-hmm. and he ended up uh, getting in trouble for that. I thought it was one of the most Bush League things I have ever seen before that game, that the captains at Kansas wouldn't shake his hand. That's worse to me than grabbing your crotch and basically giving an FU to the other sideline, in my opinion. And I'm not saying saying I defend him grabbing his crotch and, and all that stuff, but 
I was significantly more bothered by a team not being willing to shake a guy's hand before the game. I, I just that was borderline outrageous. If I were if I was the Kansas coach, I would have benched all those guys for some number of plays. That really ticked me off. But I, I, I I'm I'm curious agree. about your take. No, I, I completely agree. And I I mean, no team, no captains from any team. I don't care if it's Florida State, Alabama, Ohio State, whatever team, you just don't do that. That's just, it's not how you, you play the game. It's not how you conduct yourself as, as young men. But to be Kansas, yeah, and as bad as Kansas has been, <laughs> why are you poking the bear? I know, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. I love that point, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, okay, Josh Allen, sub-60% accuracy. You can coach a lot of things, but can you coach a guy to be significantly more accurate, which he's going to need to be in the NFL? He is going to need to be more accurate. The 56% could easily, easily be 61%, 60 61% if he had receivers that could do anything. You have to understand, Wyoming also, they lost four guys from their offense to the NFL, and when you're Wyoming – you don't reload off of that. He'd made a good decision to come back knowing that he had nothing around him, knowing that he was going to get beaten up. But I think he learned a lot and grew a lot and matured physically and mentally a lot. There are some subtle tweaks that you can work on. And I think just consistency of drilling the same footwork into him over time will help. But the thing that scares you is Matthew Stafford's probably the only quarterback that has played and had sustained success over his career that has come in the league, at least in the last decade or so, that had a sub-60%. I mean, I can go down the list. Tom Brady, 62%. Aaron Rodgers, 64 Drew Brees, 61 Matt Ryan, 61 Philip Rivers, 64 Ben Roethlisberger, 66 Russell Wilson, 61 uh, Eli Manning, 61 All the way down. Alex Smith, 66 Derek Carr, 66 You the whole list of the elite and, and good quarterbacks in the league that have had some sustained success, all of them except Stafford. So he's another one that's going to have to defy some odds. But I can tell you this, a little bit like Stafford, he has got an arm that, that I don't know that I've seen one in several years, let's put it that way, probably five years or so, like this young man's arm, plus the size, the hand size to protect the ball, the mobility for his size, extending plays, and, and he's, he's a playmaker. And he makes some throws that you see on tape. I mean, I could put a, a tape of 10 of his best throws together, and it would be better than any other prospect in the last five years in terms of wow throws. But then there, there are throws and decisions and then misses that I could put together of a reel, and it would make you want to puke. So he's, he's a tough one. I mean, I really think he can be developed into a great starting quarterback in the NFL, but he has to land in a spot where there's a good quarterback coach. And I don't know that there are 16 of those in the NFL. I mean, a guy that truly knows mechanics and how to coach it and can drill it into him the right way. And it may take a year or two. What do you think about the veteran NFL scout? I quoted a guy about a month ago who said to me, I swear that I'm not going to be wrong on this, Josh Allen is going to John Dorsey and the Cleveland Browns. Do you think that Dorsey would dare take Josh Allen with the first pick in the draft? Yeah, I do. 
I do. I and I listen. I know two other high-ranking executives in the league, and I haven't pulled all of them. So it's just a. I've probably talked to ten or twelve of them this year about Allen and, and the quarterback class, and, and I know of two of them that think he was is the best and would take him first ahead mm-hmm. of everybody else because of that potential. And now you have to remember too. Dorsey with Mahomes, the big arm, right. plus in that division, the, the, in the AFC North, when you're playing Cleveland and Baltimore and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, you've got to be able to protect the ball. You've got to be able to drive the ball through wind and through bad weather. And those are, the, you know, we've seen Flacco obviously has struggled, but he had some success. Roethlisberger, typically it's the big strong arm guys that have success in that division. And I, and as, there was also... I can't say where, but I've also gotten a couple hints from other people thinking that that could very well be the case. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, I want to finish up and have you give me the case for Lamar Jackson being a first-round pick and not a long developmental quarterback, but a good long-term starter in the NFL because there are some who feel that that isn't the case. Give me your take on Lamar Jackson. I think if, again, you, you need to have somebody in-house who can, who can coach the quarterback position. I think he has a very, very narrow base in terms of his, his lower body when he's throwing the football, and it leads to him kind of throwing. It's hard to explain. That front foot then doesn't extend, and he doesn't have as much knee bend, and then he's coming up and over, and it it's something that can be fixed. We're not talking about changing a whole delivery and arm angle or Tim Tebow type project by any stretch, but that can be fixed, which is a a positive. You want to know that you can improve his accuracy because his accuracy was not consistent enough in college to translate to the consistency you need in the NFL. But if you can do that, now you've got a guy who is very confident, who's been the most dynamic player, as I've mentioned, with the football in his hands in college football the last two years. I mean, there's no – if you said, okay, you have one play to win the game, who are you going to put the, put the ball in his hands? I, and I would say Lamar because he's so special and so explosive. Plus, he has the height. He can continue to bulk up and get stronger, which he's going to need to do because if you're going to run as much as he's likely to run, you better be Cam Newton. And Cam Newton weighs 250. Lamar Jackson is listed at 205. There's a big difference there. And so I I think these are things that can happen. And plus he has a big arm. And I'm more encouraged now than any time before with Deshaun Watson last year and what Bill O'Brien was able to do with him. Even Jared Goff and what their their new coaching staff is able to do with him. And just looking at these – system quarterbacks, quote-unquote, coming from college, whether it's the mobility like Watson or whether you're talking about the the spread system with Goff, I'm more encouraged now than ever that coaches are deciding, you know what, we need to to take what they do best and work with that and not try to fit them into what we are. And let's simplify some things. Let's Let's go back and study their tape and look at what they did successfully and let's do a lot of that instead of trying to make them do what we've always done. And I think a team, if they have that creativity, will bring Lamar in. And maybe year one, it's just using him in some packages while they're working on his mechanics and, and beefing him up. But maybe by year two, you've got a guy that you feel like in a 
very specific system if used properly, he can go out there and he can have the same success that he had at Louisville, which was a lot of success, 23 and 11 as a starter. And he did that with the supporting cast. that was not very good, especially on the offensive side. In my opinion, the Baltimore Ravens would be a great landing spot for Lamar Jackson hmm. because, you know, they're a little bit come see, come saw on Joe Flacco these days. Yep. You know, they don't know how much longer he's going to be the guaranteed, no doubt guy. And uh, to me, you bring in Lamar Jackson year one, he adjusts and you maybe use him in some packages, but you go to training camp in 2019 and assuming the Ravens are seven and nine or something, I don't know what they'll be, but unless Flacco has a great year, you go to training camp in 2019, you say, Hey guys, may the best man win. That's how I would, that's how I do it. If I were Ozzie Newsome, uh, because I think they're getting to the point where, and I'm not blaming Flacco for this at all. Uh, and he's had some very good moments, but you know, they just have not been very good in the passing game now for three or four no. years. So anyway, I agree. We'll that's, an, that's an interesting spot. Yeah. Hey, Todd, listen, much, much appreciated for the dissection on the quarterbacks in this draft. I really, really appreciate it. You got it, man. Good, good talking to you as always. And I'll uh, see you in Indianapolis. Sounds good. Thanks to my guests, Mike Mayock and Todd McShay. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in my MMQB series, such as my conversations with Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, and Roger Goodell. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the MMQB podcast with Peter King on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Mattress Firm and Buffalo Wild Wings. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you from the NFL Scouting Combine next week.